there. This is Shoot the Flick, an official Paradox podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, I showed Scotty a bit of a, a cult classic, perhaps. I don't know if he would call it that. But it's it was unpopular at the time of its release, and now it's still really kind of unpopular, but I like it. <laughs> this movie is So I Married an Axe Murderer, which came out in 1993. I actually did want to see this movie, because I did go through a bit of a Michael Myers kind of phase. That's Michael Myers the actor, not the killer. Well, that's that's a good distinction to make, dear. It's got to be made because there's two of them. Well, Mike Myers is Mike Myers, and Michael Myers is Michael Myers. That's true. There's a slight distinction. But yeah, I've I've heard of this movie. I've had it on my watch list for quite a while, I think. Well, now you've watched it. And now I've watched it. I watched this movie when I was a kid, and I liked it. I liked it so much that I bought it on physical media. So I we didn't have to go searching for it or rent it online it was just here in the house so that was that was good we always support buying physical media i like having physical media i do it's better that way so if hey if the internet's out we can still watch our goddamn movies yeah it's easier and i i like having my favorite movies at my fingertips and like showing them off in my fancy bookcase when we get our own place, what I want to do is get like a giant, because I have a little tiny bookcase here in, in my bedroom at my mom's house where we live. Yes, we live with my mom. Come at me. But when we get our own place, I want to have like a fucking sprawling like bookcase situation on the walls in my house to showcase my movies and my books. And Scott can showcase his little video games. You know, if he wants, he can have like a section. <laughs> wow, that's so. I gets a section. Yeah, you just you get a section off to the side. Well, I always wanted one of those bookcases that slides open and like. Yeah, I. You know, in Beauty and the Beast, in the first opening number, where she goes into the library and she's like, "Oh, I love this book," da da da, da and she climbs on the ladder and like slides across. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> you want a fucking library of movies yeah that's what i want like books and movies i'm a book nerd too i'm not just a movie nerd i am also a book nerd as yeah. scott likes to joke all the time that i'm like bell because i like to read okay <laughs> like like scoffingly he says that. i do not say it scoffingly you do <laughs> i do not because you don't like to read but i like to read i read a fucking 300 something page book the other day in a day and Scott was looking at me like I was mentally unstable. I didn't make. I didn't look You're at like, you like you were unstable. For yes, that. you did. He got into. We're getting totally off topic. <laughs> Eventually, we'll discuss the movie. But I need to say this, okay? I fuck. I'm in bed reading, right? And I I'm reading on a Kindle, so he can't really tell like where I'm at in the book, right? So I close my Kindle and I put it away. And he's like, "Oh, you don't have to stop reading just because I came home." And I'm like, "Oh no, I'm I'm done. I finished." And he's like, you finished? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, when did you start it? This morning, like seven when I woke up. And it was like, what? It was like eight o'clock at night and I finished it. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to do it in a day is a little crazy. The, the best I've done with a book is I read The Godfather in a week. Well, I mean, it, to be fair, it wasn't a particularly dense book. It was kind of like a thrillery, quick paced book. So we're talking about So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> 
It was directed by a man named Thomas Schlamm. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It sounds fake. We're going to just go with that. This is the first and only theatrical film that he directed. He's done mostly television episodes as far as directing. He's directed episodes of Friends, Mad About You, Spin City, The West Wing, and many, many others. And it was written by a Mr. Robbie Fox. However, Myers and a friend of his named Neil Malarkey, that sounds like a fake name, (laughs) reworked the script and put a lot more comedic stuff in there. And supposedly as well, Myers had a lot to do with the soundtrack of this movie, which we'll get to. A lot of Brit pop in here, which I actually really like. Yeah, it's a fun, poppy soundtrack even though one song gets used four separate times. Yes. And it's now stuck in my head, and it's probably going to be there for the rest of the night. Yeah, apparently, despite the fact that they had to rework the script, Myers was really interested in this script because it gave him the opportunity to be serious and also funny because he was still on Saturday Night Live at this time, and he had just did Wayne's World. So he was just a, a burgeoning star at this point. He was really starting to shoot off in the trajectory. However, Robbie Fox was kind of like pissed off about it at the time because apparently the script was supposed to be a lot darker than it ended up being with Myers and his friends rewrites. But this was his second movie screenplay that he's ever done. The first one being a movie that I've never heard of, but I'm kind of interested to see just because it sounds bizarro. It's called Shooting Elizabeth and apparently it's a Jeff Goldblum comedy where he plots to kill his wife, but then before he can do it, his wife like disappears or something, and then hijinks ensue. I don't know. It sounds really bizarre. I decided what I want. Really want for my birthday yeah. for Elizabeth and I to fly down to the coast of Bravo. Good, great, great. Yeah, spend a few days there. Yeah, perfect. That's just what you need. Yeah. On the night before. Yeah, we yeah. Come back. Yeah. I'm gonna shoot. All right. <laughs> You're going to do what? He likes like weird dark comedies, I guess is the is the joke. At least in at least at that time because later on he wrote really a, a whole heaping pile of shit. Uh, he wrote movies such as In the Army Now with Pauly Shore. And he wrote a movie called Granddaddy Daycare, which I assume is like the spin-off sequel something to Daddy Daycare where a bunch of guys have to take care of old men. It's weird. I I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, thankfully, probably, Mike Myers and his friend were able to kind of rework it a little bit and make make the script a little bit lighter. Punch it up a little. Right. The movie did not do well in the box office. The budget was $20 million, and the gross was $11.5 million. Ouch. Yeah, so it was really bad. Critics' score on Rotten Tomatoes is also pretty bad. It has a critic score of 54% and an audience score of 68%. Would, oh. you, would you concur with that, uh, you think, uh, or uh, no? I'd say I'm closer to the audience than I am the critics, but there, well, there's definitely some stuff in here that's like, you go, you, go, you just shake your head at some of it. Well, how, how do you feel about it overall? Did you like this movie? I did like it. it. It is a little cheesy. It is a little dopey at times. For sure. It actually was fun to make fun of at times. Yeah, some of the stuff is really like cheesy. But also, I think this was kind of at the height of Mike Myers' shtick, you know, in his comedy. 
So I, I enjoy that. I think he brings a bit of charm to the role in the movie that probably wouldn't have existed with another actor. Roger Ebert even said, and I quote, that this movie was a mediocre movie with a good one trapped inside, wildly signaling to be set free. <laughs> Such yeah. a flowery writer. We love Roger Ebert, but... That's who he was. I get that assessment. I personally, and maybe it's because I've watched this like multiple times like growing up so i kind of have maybe a little bit more of a nostalgic rose-colored glasses look at this movie but i really like it i always laugh i still laughed watching it again i haven't seen it in a long time but i still laughed multiple times i would have liked to seen the darker version of this yeah no i wouldn't have been adverse to it i but I think if it had Mike Myers in it, it was probably better that he lightened it up a little bit. Well, yeah, because Mike, I don't know if Mike Myers I don't know, like, play serious. Yeah, like the most serious thing I'm thinking about is his cameo in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that's basically... That's literally all I can think but of. But he's a joke in that, too. Right. He's not like a Jim Carrey or Robin Williams where, like, they've very easily gone back and forth between comedy and drama. I think he's too into his shtick at this point because then he like he tried to bring back the Gong Show like a couple years ago. Oh yeah, ago. that was weird. And it lasted. I think it lasted like five an seconds. Yeah, and then they're always talking about doing another Austin Powers, and yeah, I guess he's not over it. Um, I think we can get into the nitty gritty now. We can start talking about the movie. The movie Sheller sounds fun. I don't know what that voice was. I don't know either, but we're going to just move right along and pretend it didn't happen. So we start this movie right away with an introduction to our soundtrack. The song There She Goes, performed by the Boo Radleys, which was a like alternative English Brit pop band in the 90s, like a one hit wonder type situation. It's catchy as fuck. she goes there she goes again yeah it's it's a good song apparently mike myers was at least at the time really into brit pop alternative stuff and he just kind of puked all that into the movie but it does set a very kind of light and airy tone yeah it's playing over our credits and our shots of san francisco and this Nice little coffee shop. Because our main character, Charlie, who's played by Mike Myers, he's a beat poet. And supposedly, that's all he does. He doesn't have a job. He just performs open mic night at this beat poetry club. And we never see him do anything else as far as occupationally. Do you get paid to perform in beat poetry clubs? I don't think you do but also we never actually see where charlie lives so maybe he just lives on the street maybe he's homeless (laughs) and he just lives in the fucking alleyway of this poetry club i don't know it's very we don't need to know is the point we know he owns a car so anyway we get the opening credits and we go into this beat poetry club and we meet charlie and the waitresses or whatever at this club they give him a big old cup of cappuccino 
And immediately the Mike Myers cheese balls shtick begins. Excuse me, miss. I believe I ordered the large cappuccino. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Look at the size of this thing. It's like Campbell's cappuccino. <laughs> My size. Please, <laughs> Scott immediately was like head in hands, like oh boy. Because he, he's like, like hello. He does that, yeah. The hello. He's laughing at his own jokes. He's like the Carol Burnett, Jimmy Fallon of this movie. Yeah, basically. And we also meet Charlie's best friend Tony, played by Anthony Lapaglia, who was Jack Malone on Without a Trace for seven years. He's been on a lot of TV. I thought I recognized him. He yeah. actually got serious. That's <laughs> the only thing I know him from. I never watched the show, but I've seen a million commercials for it because it was on TV forever. Uh, yeah. Oh. But uh, yeah, that's that guy. And he is dressed like a pimp for some reason, like an over-the-top pimp. He's a cop, and apparently he's undercover, but we don't know why he's undercover they don't mention that, so he's just dressed like a pimp for no reason in this club, and he's there to support Charlie because he's performing. Yeah, Charlie even mentions, like, uh, you're dressed like Huggy Bear. <laughs> From Starsky and Hutch, yeah. Especially the Snoop Dogg version of Huggy Bear when they redid Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah. Oh, that movie was awful. It really was, but Snoop Dogg was the shit. That's, like, the only thing worth watching that movie for. <laughs> oh, Snoop. Snoop is just great. He's Snoop. I can't imagine what they said to him, like, to get him in that. I we're, Again, we're getting off topic, but, like, hey, Snoop, you remember that old cop drama from, like, this, what was it, like, the 60s? Yeah. And, and then he said to his agent, um, no, motherfucker, I don't. I didn't watch that shit. And he's like, well, there's this character called Huggy Bear. So you should, you sh they want you to do it. You should do it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> do I get money? Okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> Honestly, I just think as long as they let Snoop be Snoop, I don't think he cares. True. So, uh, Charlie and Tony are talking, and we basically establish Charlie's general character. He, he's a, a non-committal guy. He's very paranoid. Charlie says he just broke up with his girlfriend, and Tony's like... Charlie, you, you always break up with these girls. You come up with some made-up reason to break up with girls when things start getting serious. And he's like, no. And starts rattling off all these excuses why he's broken up with these girls. She was a klepto. She smelled like beef barley soup. Um. <laughs> and Tony's like, Charlie. And he's like, you weren't there. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know my pain. Then he goes up to perform his beat poetry and there's like a little jazz band up there with him. It's very cute. And he does his little woman poem. Woman. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. She was a thief. You gotta believe. She stole my heart and my cat. Woman. Woman. Whoa, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. And then he, yeah. and then he gets me. Oh, yeah, because he made, like, references to the Flintstones and to the Jetsons and stuff. I'm like, oh, my God. And that's when Scott got laughing. But then for his ending of the poem, he picks up a little candle off the side table and blows it out. The next day, Charlie goes to a deli to get haggis for a get-together with his parents who are very, very Scottish, as we will get to in a minute. At this deli, he meets the owner of the deli who's working there, and her name is Harriet. 
and she's played by Nancy Travis. She's very good looking. She's definitely... Yes, she's lovely, and she knows how to cut a slab of meat, and we love that in a woman. She doesn't do it sanitarily, though. Oh, yes. I was so mad. She gives Mike Myers the haggis, and, and he's like, oh, she's just barehanded in that haggis. No gloves or anything. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. This is a pre-coronavirus world. <laughs> so then we meet Charlie's parents. We meet the father, Stuart, who is also played by Mike Myers. <laughs> oh, he thinks he's Eddie Murphy now. Oh, yeah. Fun fact about that. During the first cast read-through of the script... The father hadn't been cast yet, and Myers was reading the lines, and everyone at the table liked it so much, they were just like, oh, you should just do it. And Mike Myers was like, oh, okay. <laughs> the father is literally fat bastard and Shrek. Yeah. That is he, what he is. He's doing a Scottish accent, so it sounds like Shrek slash fat bastard. Come here, I'm gonna eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly! But apparently Mike Myers did base the character off of his own father. And I mean, you could obviously tell that it's Mike Myers, but he apparently did do three and a half hours of prosthetics and makeup to get into the father ensemble. So <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, he is getting ready to have a, a night together with his with his adult son and his friend coming over because Tony's coming with Mike Myers and he's for some reason singing Saturday night. I, I don't know why, but he is because it's funny. Well, yeah, he's, and, he's got a Scottish wall of fame because they're really Scottish guys. Guys, they're very Scottish. That's why he got the haggis because they're Scottish. And uh, the mom, May, is played by Brenda Fricker. Now, if you don't know that name, I'll tell you who she is. She's the bird lady from Home Alone 2, Lost oh. in New York. Oh my god, she's the bird lady. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't she scary in that movie, that dirty lady that liked to feed pigeons? How dare she? Anyway, <laughs> but uh, they play the parents, and they also have a younger brother named William, who's this little redhead child with a big afro. Who says... No lines no, throughout the entire anything. movie. And I, that's why I don't even know who played him. And it doesn't really matter because <laughs> I don't care. But Charlie and Tony come over and, you know, they're having their little get together. It's a nice time. They're having a nice time. Charlie's talking with his mom in the kitchen and the dad, Stuart, is with the other kid and Tony in front of the TV and they're talking shit and they're watching soccer and it's, you know, it's a grand old time they're having. The mother brings out the World Weekly News, which I think is meant to be like the National Enquirer. I think it's Weekly World News. And I think it's a real thing. Is it? I, I think so. Because they mention it in Supernatural 2 in an episode in like season one, because I remember season one of a 15-year show and a line that was like a throwaway line. <laughs> I think it's a real thing. It's like the gossip rags right. that aren't meant to be taken seriously. But she takes them very seriously. She calls it the paper. Uh, she says it is the eighth most distributed paper in the world. Yes, and she's talking to Charlie, and she shows him this article about Mrs. X, which apparently is some mysterious woman that kills her husbands on their honeymoon. Woman? 
whoa, man, whoa, man. <laughs> Interspersed with that conversation is Stuart in the living room with Tony just being generally like weird and saying crazy shit. Like he's talking to Tony about the fucking Illuminati. And yeah, uh, five people rule the world. One of which being the colonel from KFC. Oh, I hated the colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to buy my chicken. Oh. And then he starts talking about how he hates the colonel because he puts addictive chemicals in the chicken. And it's like, okay. And then he makes fun of his child for having a giant head. Yes, because he puts his head up in front of the TV and he's like, "Move your head! You're gonna hurt yourself with that giant thing lugging it around." Yeah, it's a dumb bit, but it is a funny dumb bit. As they're leaving this little family get together, the father is sitting on the couch. You know, ah, oh, he's drunk as a skunk. But the mother fucking has a makeout session with Tony. <laughs> Yeah, she's like hot for Tony. And I'm like, oh my god, you're a married woman and you're just making out with this boy. I mean, they've been married for 30 years. She needs a little spice in her life. (laughs) Scott's worried now. (laughs) Don't worry, baby, I would never. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Oh my god, stop fucking lying. So after that whole scene... We get Tony at work at the police station. And we also meet Tony's precinct captain, who is played by an uncredited Alan Arkin. Yeah, that's weird that he's uncredited because, yeah, he is in the movie. He's a goofy role in the movie. I guess unless he just didn't like his role. I don't know. But yes, we loved him in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Check out our review on that. Indeed, indeed. So he, he comes in talking to Tony, and Tony's like, I thought you were going to be different. I thought you were going to be a hard-ass captain. I thought I was going to do all these cool police things, like hanging oh, from a helicopter. Yeah, he's like, oh, I thought I was going to be Serpico when I took this job. I'm like, what the fuck? Why did you think that? <laughs> it's kind of stupid. He's he's kind of a dope, but he basically says like he's disappointed in his job because it's not like how it is on TV. He says that Alan Arkin is too nice. And he's like, well, I'm sorry, but you know what? Someone needs a hug. It's like corny, but it's still cute and funny. And then we get Charlie and he's driving past the deli. And he's like, ooh, I'm going to go in there and flirt with that hot fucking deli worker. So he goes in there and it's really crowded. And he goes to Harriet and he's like, hey, my dad was a butcher and I used to work in a shop all the time growing up. Like, I can help you out if you want. And she's like, I would love that. Okay. And then we get a whole montage of of them just being silly in the deli department. Yeah, where Charlie is not helping her whatsoever. He's massaging (laughs) a steak. He, He throws another steak into the crowd. It's basically like if you put an improv group into a deli in a butcher shop and it's just like okay go <laughs> and like that's what the whole montage is it's again silly but it's also cute it, it is it definitely is i don't know how much help he was but this earns him a date yes they end up hanging out afterwards they're kind of flirting charlie's like okay tell me about the worst thing you've ever done have you ever brutally murdered anyone like joking around and she goes well What's brutal to one person isn't necessarily brutal to somebody else. <laughs> and that's what Scott was like. Wee-woo, wee-woo, wee-woo. I 
should run away now. But no, he, I guess, finds that endearing or he just kind of lets it go. I don't know. And then they, they continue to walk around uh, San Francisco, you know, being generally cutesy. And they walk past these Russian sailors because... Russian sailors in San Francisco. Okay. Sure. Because we need her to speak Russian, so we need Russian sailors to walk by. So the, these two guys are speaking Russian, and they say something as they're walking by, and she turns around and says something to them in Russian, like yelling at them. So why is it important that Harry can speak Russian? Don't worry, we'll get there. But <laughs> Charlie, I thought, had a funny line here, too, where Harriet says to him, Charlie, what do you look for in a woman that you date? And Charlie goes, well, I know everyone's has sense of humor, but uh, really, I just go for breast size. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Maybe I have a lower bar with comedy. I mean, you guys have all heard me laugh obnoxiously on this podcast at stupid shit. I laugh pretty easily, Hell, <laughs> to be fair. A couple of weeks ago, she laughed at Woodcock. I did laugh at Woodcock. Woodcock was really funny. Woodcock, Woodcock, Woodcock. See? It's uh, funny. You can't say it and not laugh. Okay, so Charlie and Harriet go back to her place. And we, we learned some more tidbits here about Harriet. For example, she has this martial arts display on her wall and charlie's like what's this about it she's like oh i have a friend of mine that was an expert in martial arts by the way this apartment is enormous oh yeah it's like a really sprawling like two-story condo or whatever and scott's like she works at a deli how could she afford this i'm like let's not think about that too hard okay they have this joke where Charlie's just walking around the apartment and then you see this giant poster of Atlantic City behind him for some reason. And then Mike Myers just goes, you know what this apartment needs? A giant poster of Atlantic City. And then he turns around and he's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> and then she comes right up and she's like, oh, yeah, I used to live there. So that's another little, little tidbit. Then they have this cute scene. And to be fair... Despite the fact that Mike Myers is a bit of a nerdy, funny dude, he, him and Nancy Travis do have chemistry together. Yeah. They're very cute. It does seem like they have a decent amount of chemistry, and that is something we usually ask for with any romantic comedy. Right, because, I mean, if you're expecting us as the audience to root for this couple, they gotta feel like a real couple. Yeah, you know, we can't have a pistachio... Uh, oh, and Jennifer Esposito. Yeah, no. Again, we're refer. I feel like in a lot of these, we reference Master of Disguise. <laughs> I I don't know why. Well, this I feel one- like I want to remove that movie as far away from my brain as possible. Well, this one is even more because you got Mike Myers, who has direct connection with Dana Carvey. Right. Yeah. Oh, geez. Check out that review if you dare, guys. It's it's a it's a doozy. But anyway, they have this cute little back and forth, Charlie and Harriet, where. They're like, oh, you know, it's it's late. And Charlie's like, yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe I should just go home because I don't want to rush into us spending the night together. And Harry, it's just like, I want to spend the night together. And he's like, oh, OK, cool. So then they they spend the night together. Uh, they, they run upstairs with Charlie's pants falling down. Oh, yeah. He like immediately unbuttons his pants. It's like it's kind of funny, but they're sleeping in bed. And all of a sudden, Harriet starts yelling out in her sleep. And she's yelling out in a very, like, over-the-top, orgasmic voice. 
She's yelling out the name Ralph. And this concerns Charlie a bit. And he wakes her up and he's like, you were screaming the name Ralph. What was that about? And she's like, oh, Ralph, she's a friend of mine. And he's like, she's your friend. Ralph. Ralph is your your friend who is a female. Okay, sure. And then he just goes back to sleep. <laughs> and then the next morning we get a little weird introduction to another character charlie wakes up in the morning and he sees the outline of a woman in the shower oh yes through the glass door on the second floor of this because apartment. yeah because it's a fucking fancy ass apartment he goes in the bathroom and he opens the shower door but it's not harriet in there oh no 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 it is rose harriet's sister who lives with her rose is played by amanda Plummer, who just one year after this played honey bunny in pulp fiction oh nice she's got like the raspy voice (laughs) she's got that whole thing going on oh yeah she definitely does she meets charlie and she's a very weird girl (laughs) she's kind of making charlie a little uncomfortable but as soon as rose is introduced I looked at Frankie and I guess the ending of the movie. Yeah, I mean, we could say it. So I, I won't give too much away, but he basically turned to me and was like, oh, so she's like the bad guy, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of funny that he guessed it right away. But to be fair, she's being obviously off. So it's kind of understandable why you would think that. <laughs> So after that whole interaction between Charlie and Rose, we cut to, I would assume, some maybe days or weeks later, and Charlie and Tony are, for some reason that I don't really understand, I guess just because we had the location, so we wanted to use it, Charlie and Tony are going on this tour of Alcatraz. okay and for some reason also the song two princes is playing i don't know (laughs) yeah it's funny because charlie lives in san francisco it's almost like me and you have lived in new york our entire lives Mm -hmm. we've never gone to the Statue of Liberty. Right, yeah. I feel like that's it's like, Alcatraz that's, for San Francisco. Right, it's comparable. But I guess because they did film this movie in San Francisco, I guess they figured, oh, we can film in Alcatraz. That would be cool. Let's fucking do that. So they did it. It's it's fine. It's not a big to-do. But they are walking around this tour, which, by the way, their tour guide is fucking Phil Hartman. Fucking legend. We love him. Indeed. Charlie is telling Tony how he's determined to not fuck up this relationship with Harriet. He really likes her. He says, if weird shit starts happening, I'm just going to let it go. Put it out of my mind. And and Tony's like, good for you, man. And then (laughs) Phil Hartman, he continues with this crazy fucking tour. And periodically he like chastises them for interrupting his tour. (laughs) Yeah. He he brings up a story about, which I thought was hysterical, a murderer called Machine Gun Kelly 
Yeah, that was weird. I don't know. I feel like there that's a reference though because I feel like there's an old movie named Machine Gun Kelly. It might be. I think the actual Machine Gun Kelly that us millennials know and love is probably the real culprit here. <laughs> probably, unless he was referencing this movie. Yeah, I'm sure he was. <laughs> um, so apparently Machine Gun Kelly this is Phil Hartman's words, not mine. And one night, in a jealous rage, Kelly took a makeshift knife for Shiv and cut out the bitch's eyes. And then, periodically, like, other inmates took turns, apparently, peeing in the ocular cavity. Yes. Hey guys, quick break from the main show. We just wanted to take a minute to show you all some kick-ass podcasts that Scott and I really enjoy. Check them out now. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can become nightmares. Come join me and get lost in horrific reverie about true crimes and eerie events. Reverie True Crime Podcast, available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hey, I'm Connor. And I'm Caroline. And we're the hosts of Poor Unfortunate Podcast, a new podcast for all those grown-up Disney lovers looking for people to shoot the shit about Disney the way they do with their friends. If a BuzzFeed Disney quiz came to life in the form of a podcast, this would be it. Join us as we talk about things like tips and tricks for exploring Disney parks. The masterpiece that is 1997 Cinderella starring Brandy and Whitney Houston. Specially curated Disney movie marathons for when you have nothing better to do with your life. The joy of a Grand Marnier slush and so much more. So if you're listening right now and thinking, these are my people, give Poor Unfortunate Podcast a listen. And if you're not, this ad's almost over. New episodes drop every other Monday, and we're available wherever you get your podcasts. And then the joke is, after he tells that really harrowing story, he just like, okay, now everyone, let's go to the cafeteria. <laughs> because nothing makes you more hungry than talking about pissing in other people's eye cavities. It's so weird and so, like, out there that you're like... But that's Phil Hartman, though. I feel like that was his purpose for being there, so, like, uh, good on him. Well, no, I, I have no, no problem with Phil Hartman doing yeah, that. no, I know. It's just so out of place, <laughs> the movie. A lot of this movie is just like, here's where we are, here's our location, here's our scenario, and now we're just going to do some funny bits throughout the scene. Like, that's basically what it is. But it makes sense, because I guess Mike Myers and other people also that work in SNL are usually pretty good at doing, like, improv and just coming up with shit on the spot. So, makes sense, I guess. Well, yeah, they, they definitely allowed Mike to uh, riff. Yeah, so after this, we get a montage over the song there she goes again again and <laughs> it's basically just a montage of charlie and harriet's relationship and how they're all lovey-dovey and cutesy and it's nice and charlie's working at the deli again yeah it's, it's very cute then after the montage charlie's taking her to meet his parents for the first time and it's very exciting and they have this cute bit where like 
they walk in the house and the mom is like, oh, you're beautiful. And the father, again, played by Mike Myers, walks out with no pants on and <laughs> it's like tries to surprise Harriet and she like twists his arm around in like a fucking karate move or something. It's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a fun little uh, gag here. So immediately after she lets go of him, the father goes, so you're a butcher. Uh, yes. Do you link your own sausages? She goes, yes. <laughs> we love we love a good dick joke. <laughs> oh, and then the mom is like, oh, I'm going to show you baby pictures of Charlie. And Charlie's like, oh, mom, do you really have to do that? And she's like, oh, Charlie, you've got to pickle up your ass today. <laughs> uh, you, the, the correct line is you have a pickle up your ass again. I'm pickle red. Oh, implying that he often has a pickle up his ass. Sure. <laughs> Just gonna move on from that. Now, Charlie. Now, audience, do you have a pickle up your ass? If you do, you should probably take it out. I Sh- you don't should know get if that checked out. I don't know if that's helping you in a way. So Please Char- don't eat it. <laughs> so Charlie goes to the bathroom at one point. Like, on the toilet, he sees this newspaper that his mom was talking about, you know, as he's just, like, sitting on the, in the bathroom. He reads this article that she was talking about of the honeymoon murderer, Mrs. X. And he's reading it, and he notices something interesting. In the article, they list three victims, one of which is a lounge singer from Atlantic City. The second one is a Russian martial arts expert from Miami. And third is a plumber named Ralph. So (laughs) Charlie takes these, I would think to any other normal person, really just kind of weird coincidences. Like, oh, she used to live in Atlantic City. Uh, Oh, it's a person named Ralph. Oh, it's a martial arts guy. And he assumes that this woman who he's been seeing, I would guess for at least a couple months, maybe at this point. Let's say like at least a month. Right. And he just assumes, based on this article in Weekly World News. The thing he just called trash literally 20 minutes ago. (laughs) That the woman that he's dating is a fucking murderer. (laughs) Uh, And you're like... Okay, that's a jump in logic, but okay. A little bit, but again, Charlie is very anti-commitment. He gets crazy. He comes up with paranoid reasons to break up with women, so, uh, you know. So they're driving home together after meeting the parents, and he starts asking her, like, a bunch of questions about, like, without mentioning the article, but he's asking her questions about the stuff he read in the article, like, oh... When did you live in Atlantic City? Oh, you know that martial arts guy of yours? Where was he? And she says, Miami. And he's like, oh, my God. So eventually she's just like, listen, like that part of my life, I don't really like talking about it. Like, let's just drop it. And he's like, "Okay," (laughs) But you can tell he's very uncomfortable. And then you cut to the like the next day. He's at the police station talking to Tony. And he shows him the article and he's explaining to him, like, look at all these similarities. This is why I think Harriet is a fucking murderer. And Tony's like, um, 
I think you're fucking crazy, which I feel is what any normal friend would say to their friend when they're acting crazy. (laughs) He basically is like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to get out of this relationship with this girl because you think she might be the one. And if she's the one, you're going to marry her. And to you, marriage is death. (laughs) I I was like, well, you're just putting it all out there, aren't you? It was funny because Tony's reading the article to try and like convince Charlie that he's being silly. And he says, in reference to the first victim, who's the lounge singer from Atlantic City, he says, oh, this article says the first guy was a lounge singer and he was famous for being able to sing the song Only You in six different languages. Charlie, does Harry even know the words to Only You? And Charlie just goes like, I don't know, Tony. We haven't reached that ever critical, do you know the words to Only You face in our relationship? (laughs) Yeah, it, I'm like, oh, yeah, God. that's a fair response, but <laughs> yeah, and Tony looks at Charlie and goes, "I have two words for you: therapy." <laughs> <laughs> See, there's a lot of little cute, funny bits in here. Eventually, Tony convinces Charlie that, like, listen, you're being paranoid. You're being silly. Like, just relax. You got a good girl. Just calm down. Calm down. Calm. And Charlie's like, "Okay, fine," and he goes home. When I say goes home, whenever we see him at home, he's at Harriet's place. So we, again, don't know where this guy actually lives. <laughs> and I assume if your job is a beat poet, it seems silly to not be living in your own place. Because I doubt, like, you're fucking rolling in it. So, like, live in your own fucking apartment. But why, you- don't you, why don't you invite her to your place, Charlie? Why is it always going to be at Harriet's place? Have you seen her apartment? True. I, I actually, would want to be in her apartment. I, I would love to live in an apartment like that. That'd be fucking boss. She's but anyway. A giant tub. She's got a backyard. She's got like a... Yeah, it's a whole thing, man. It's a whole setup. It's very nice. I don't know how she affords it. But anyway. So that deli must be pulling in... Tons of money, or she's selling coke out the back. Yeah. They kind of imply that Rose is an artist, so maybe Rose is like some lucrative artist, too. I don't know. Maybe. Who, uh, who knows? But anyway, Charlie is at Harriet's place, and he's just hanging out, and he's watching a news story about a rise in poisoning murders in the States, and that kind of concerns him a bit because Harriet comes in from the kitchen and she says to him she says hey babe i made you this health shake i i worked really hard on it it's got strawberries in it you love strawberries why don't you try it and he's like oh no 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 no!" and he freaks out and he like hides in the closet (laughs) and she gets upset like you know she gets her feelings hurt which is fair because she worked hard to make something nice for you charlie and you didn't drink it that's no. not nice. Yeah, but then later on that night, they get into bed and like she apologizes to him. And I'm like, bitch, don't you apologize to him. He was a dick. He should apologize to you. He was being mean. But, you know, they make up and it's fine. And <laughs> they're like rolling around in bed. And she starts a conversation with him about trust in a relationship. She's like, babe, isn't it cool, this relationship we have? We can trust each other to just like you know sleep in bed together and not worry about anything like and then she goes i can do anything to you in your sleep (laughs) it's like oh that's a little weird sweetie i was on your side with the health shake but now you're getting weird (laughs) 
Yeah, he can do anything to you in your sleep. And she starts messing with his ear, and he, like, bugs out. Yeah, he starts screaming, and she's screaming. And he's like, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? And she's, he's like, I'm sorry. It's just I have an ear thing, okay? I, I just, there was an episode of Night Gallery, and, and this guy put an earwig in the guy's ear, and then, I know, they said the good news is we got the earwig, but the bad news is it was a female, and... She gets mad at him, and they just go to sleep, and it's like, okay, so clearly he's not over this whole she could be a murderer thing. <laughs> but to be fair, they are dropping hints that, like, she could be a murderer. You know, the writing is making it, trying to make it kind of ambiguous, like, is she or isn't she, you know? For now, they're still together, and things are still okay, I guess. But then after that, we cut to Charlie going to this newspaper office. He's going there to file an announcement in the newspaper because his parents are about to have their 30th wedding anniversary. So he's talking to the lady at the desk. And meanwhile, at another desk, the obituary department, they hear two guys that work over there joking about like some people that died like recently and that they're putting in the obits and the lady at the desk that mike myers is talking to is like hey those are people like stop joking around about that and they're like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry one of these guys fun fact is michael richards who played kramer on seinfeld and who was like one of the first canceled celebrities i think of like the modern era yeah. With his uh, 2006 racist tirade. Yeah. That, that was good times, wasn't it? Yeah. Remember it was... 2006, guys? Yeah, when all we had to worry about was Kramer was a racist. So anyway, they're talking about some of these obits that they have to put out. And they mention the death of a plumber named Ralph Elliott that had been missing for four months and that was recently found in a sewer. And Charlie's ears perk up and he confronts Kramer and this other guy about it. And they have this funny bit where uh, Charlie's like, did they mention the wife? And the guys think that like he's chastising them about joking about the guy. So Kramer's like, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. I shouldn't have joked around. And Charlie keeps asking, did they mention the wife? Did they mention the wife? And then Kramer goes, no, they didn't mention the wife. <laughs> They're like, I am insensitive. I'm sorry. I'm an insensitive man. <laughs> and he just runs away. Everybody look at the insensitive <laughs> asshole. And it's, it's a funny bit. And it's like, oh, I miss when Kramer was a normal person and we didn't know he was racist. <laughs> it's funny because I've watched a lot of his movies lately. And he's he's so it's so weird because now you're like you're Kramer, like I can't not look right, at you and yeah. see Kramer. And yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how that happens with actors. Sometimes they kind of get their like one role and then they're kind of typecasted. That happens sometimes, unfortunately. So after this little uh, incident, <laughs> we cut to Charlie meeting with Harriet. Out in this public outdoor area because as he says it's safer here but what's funny about this I'm 90% sure that this is the backdrop to the full house oh, opening oh it, it totally is okay whatever happened to predictability the milkman the paper boy the evening TV you miss your old familiar friends waiting just around 
yeah, that was funny because San Francisco, I guess. But yeah, like it was funny because I sat there. I'm like, that's the Full House Street, is it? Yeah, I just wanted to be like, whatever happened to predictability? <laughs> the milkman, the paper boy, evening TV. <laughs> And Aunt Becky's a criminal. She's in jail for being an asshole. Anyway, so... <laughs> I don't remember those words. <laughs> well, they should be in it now. Full house behind bars. <laughs> Imagine. That'd be fucking hilarious. Anywho. Didn't, I'm sure everyone thought Bob Saget would be the one to go to jail, if anybody. Especially for, like, drugs or something. <laughs> but no. Fucking Aunt Becky went to jail for fucking paying off colleges to send her dumb kids to school yeah exactly okay that's really that's great <laughs> college means nothing guys just so you know oh okay <laughs> just just put it out there stay in school <laughs> i love talking shit about school in these podcasts anyway uh, no i just love when you go college means nothing guys stay, stay in, in school, school. <laughs> so charlie dumps harriet and she asks like why are you just breaking up with me randomly what's the problem and he's like uh, uh, he almost says, I think you're going to kill me. I think you're going to leave me. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to cleave, cleave you? you? What does that mean? <laughs> He's like, no, I think you're going to reject me. So I'm doing a preemptive strike, which is a very like 16 year old boy way of thinking about things like fucking asshole uh, but i mean to you're be gonna fair, fire me i quit but to be fair like that's why he's broken up with all his past girlfriends so I, it's probably the first time he's actually saying that out loud to like you know to the girl instead of you smell like soup go away <laughs> but anyway so they break up and immediately we cut to charlie doing his woman poem about Harriet at the club the next night or whatever. But the difference is, this time, instead of blowing out the candle, he picks up the candle, is about to blow it out, and he thinks about it, and he realizes he can't. And he puts down the lit candle, symbolizing that he's not done. He still loves her. He still holds a candle for her. Ah, <laughs> symbolism. Anywho, so Charlie's all sad, and he misses Harriet, and, you know, woe is him and all that good stuff, you know. And then sometime later, he gets a call from Tony. And Tony's like, listen, not that it matters anymore because you broke up with her. But just so you know, someone just came in and confessed to the murder of Ralph Elliott. And it wasn't Harriet. So you're in the clear. And Charlie is all excited. And he's like, yay. And fucking there she goes, comes on again. He's running to his car. He drives straight to Harriet. And he's like, Harriet, Harriet, let me in. I miss you. I'm sorry. I fucked up. Take me back. And Harriet's like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because she goes, I love you, but you fucked up. So no. Yeah, well, because he, he's trying to get her back. He's being very serious and somber. And this, I guess, is what Mike Myers meant by like being able to do more serious stuff and comedic because like. I, I believe it. I believe he's sorry. Uh, I, I believe he's I believe sorry. I his character. I, I, I like him. It, listen, it's maybe more serious. He has the opportunity to have more like serious dialogue, I guess. I guess but it's yeah. nothing like crazy, you know? It's no. nothing like, you know, life shattering here. But like, it's a cute, solid little moment. He's, I guess, I guess he's like a little puppy dog. Like, yeah. please take me back. And he tells her that, she, that he loves her. And she's like, I love you too, but I'm 
I, I don't want to take you because you're going to do this again. Like, you're just going to fucking leave me again. So, no, fuck you. You done and goofed, closed, son. Yeah, she closed the door and that's it. But then he has he has this grand idea. He gets his little jazz band from the club and he has them go outside her house and serenade her with a poem. I am lonely. It's really hard. This poem sucks. Side note, so is the jazz band getting paid for this? Right? I don't know. Like, they're just doing this as a favor? Like, don't they have shit to do? I don't know. But anyway. They they are beck and call from this fucking random beat (laughs) When he starts doing his little poem, it's funny because it's so shitty. (laughs) I think it's really funny just how, like, crazy and silly it is. But um, apparently this wins Harriet over and she takes him back and they're back together. And in a bubble bath. Oh, yeah. They're having a cute little moment in the bubble bath. And then uh, Rose comes to the door and she's like, hey, someone's here to see you. And Harriet goes downstairs. And eventually Charlie joins her downstairs and she's like, hey, I want you to meet my girlfriend, Ralph. And he's like, this is Ralph? Ralph's real? Oh, my God, this is great. So he goes and, like, runs into Ralph's arms. He's wearing a towel, by the way. Just a towel. He doesn't know this person. He embraces her in this ginormous hug. Oh, Ralph. And then the towel falls, and he's bare-ass naked. And Ralph grabs a handful of ass. Oh, yeah, a handful of Mike Myers. Lily white ass. Oh, God. So we know... Yes, there's the other Ralph in this movie, but with her her friend Ralph, mm-hmm. which, by the way, you think you got it bad? Imagine being named Ralph. Oh, I know. Imagine. <laughs> I mean, being a guy named Ralph is awful. Like, it's synonymous with puking. I know. That's horrible. I would never. I, I but know. yeah, if, if like, as a woman with a unisex name, if you name your kid Ralph, like, you're a horrible person. But- if, if you name either male or female child ralph you're not a nice person but now let's think about it this way you so want she, your child to suffer we had that orgasmic moment where she's like ralph 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 and you're like oh yeah so is she having sex dreams about ralph like in mike myers's mind like how is that better <laughs> yeah like um hmm, hmm. except i guess if you want to have a threesome which i guess mike myers would not be adverse to i'm sure yeah, so this is the throwaway joke. Ralph is there for just to grab Mike Myers' ass and is gone. Yeah, but like I guess it's also to like ease his mind that like okay, Harriet really isn't a killer. Hooray, hurrah! So then after this, we go to Charlie's parents' thirtieth anniversary party. It's a cute scene. It starts off with um, everyone like screaming and being like, woo, 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 woo. And then the dad is like, shut it. Yeah, they're, they're singing, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. <laughs> it's so like, it's really funny because then Scott's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, because it was all for a good like. Yeah, it was annoying. But anywho, so uh, Charlie's dad, Stuart, he has this really cute speech with May. Scott is giving a face, but let me get my sentence out. He has this cute speech with his wife of 30 years about how he loves her and uh, how he still loves her after 30 years. And it's very cute. And there's a nice little toast. And now Scott's going to tell us why the speech was stupid. (laughs) He immediately is like, yeah, 
she picked me and we got married and uh we haven't agreed on anything in 30 years and it's, uh, it was a funny he was making a funny uh, dude yeah mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's see how you do at our 30th anniversary. I will do great. Okay. I can make a speech, goddammit. Okay, when he pro- when you proposed to me, you were a little tongue-tied there. You I sure you s- won't get a little nervous? I, I can get nervous. Sure you won't get a little stage fright? I, I, whoa, whoa. A little stumbling over your words there? I stumble over my words naturally. A little, little tongue-tied there, sir? I do that mm. naturally, thank mm. you, as the people of this podcast can easily see. <laughs> well, no, I usually edit around it, so they probably don't as much. <laughs> well, fine, but it- you're welcome. I can't edit around live speech, though, dear. So you better start practicing. Don't you worry, my live speech will be just fine. I did perfectly fine at our wedding. Charlie is feeling the moment. He's feeling the romance, and after the speech, all the guests at the party go on the dance floor. And Charlie pulls Harriet aside, and he asks her to marry him. And it was very cute. And she says no. (laughs) She immediately says no. And the look on her face, she looks very concerned, very scared. She immediately gets tense. But Charlie is like, listen, I love you. I want to be with you for the next 30 years of our life together. Just, Just do it. Let's get married. And she hesitates. And eventually says yes. And it's a cute little moment. It is cute. It is very cute. And then we cut to the next scene and it's their wedding. And they're wearing kilts. Well, not Harriet's not wearing a kilt. All the boys are wearing kilts because Scottish. And they get married. And they have this little reception. The reception scene was kind of funny. (laughs) Harriet has a freeze moment before she says, "Uh, I do. And everyone's like, oh, okay, she said it. See, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're having this reception. Uh, the father's singing. Uh, With a bagpipe guy. He's singing, uh, if you want my body and you think I'm sexy. If you think I'm sexy and you want my body, all you got to do is come. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, let me know. That song. Yeah, that song. Uh, bagpipes. The mom is that works. <laughs> the mom is again making out furiously with the friend. Oh yeah, because you know it's a wedding. People get frisky at weddings. <laughs> we know that from experience. That is true. Um, Some of our friends got a little frisky at our wedding. You know who you are. You know. You know. You yeah, know. You, you know. Uh, we, um, and you, if you don't think we know, we know. Oh, we do. We know all. We got the hot tea after the wedding. <laughs> but anyway, and then we get a little bit with um, Charlie and Tony are talking. And Tony's like, see, now aren't you glad you didn't uh, stick with that idea that she's a freaking murderer? How could you ever think that? And then all of a sudden, Harriet starts singing Only You. And Charlie and Tony turn around, do like a slow turnaround at the same time and look at Harriet. And it's like, mm. <laughs> coincidence? Weird. And then it gets weirder because she starts singing in French. And it's like, mm, oh. okay, we're just going to ignore this. <laughs> and uh, while she's doing it, she's grabbing Charlie's face oh, and yeah, squeezing it's very, it. It's like, it's, it's a little over the top, but it's cute and funny. So then Charlie and Harriet go on their honeymoon. And they're going to this little resort in the mountains called Poets Corner, where all the beat poets used to go in the old days. I don't know if it's a real place, but 
it looks very nice. <laughs> I don't think it's real because I think it's it's got. I think the backdrop you could see the sky. I think the sky was fake. Oh, well, okay. I think, yeah, it I might think, have been like a matte painting. Maybe I think it was like a studio lot, and they had like who knows. But anyway, they're driving along to this poet's corner, and Charlie's like messing with Harriet, like joking around with her, and he like is moving her mouth to make her say stuff. And one of the things he makes her say is, you're the best husband I ever had. And she gets all like offended and upset. She's like, why would you say that? And he's like, well, I was just joking. So it's like mm, a little weird. But you can tell that Harriet is very tense. The whole time. Yes. Throughout this little honeymoon extravaganza, she is very, very tense. So meanwhile, back at the police station, the captain, again, played by Alan Arkin, barges into... Tony's office and he's like you fucking idiot why are you butting in on the Ralph Elliott case that's none of your business and he's like Captain O's just I don't want to hear it (laughs) and uh, you know he does like the typical angry captain shtick and Tony's like well what's going on in the Ralph Elliott case why are you like freaking out on me about this and the captain says that apparently the woman that confessed to murdering Ralph Elliott she also confessed to a bunch of other murders of like Abraham Lincoln and Julius Caesar and like a bunch of old fucking people from like history. And he's like, she's a nutcase. I tell you, a nutcase. <laughs> and Tony's like, oh, fuck. And he leaves to go and like investigate this. He immediately comes back, goes to the captain. He goes, that was good. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he, he like, he, he leaves to go investigate this. But like two seconds later, he comes back in the room. He's like, that was a really good job. That was great. You did a great job. And Alan Arkin's like, no, it wasn't too much. He's like, no, it was perfect. And it's like, oh my God. So he goes off to investigate this. And he apparently, he sends Harriet's picture to like friends and relatives of the three victims from the Mrs. X article, which, okay, why didn't you do that before? Well, he never thought it was actually her. I guess, but like... He thought Charlie was crazy. Right, but like, just because the lady didn't kill Ralph Elliot doesn't magically mean that Harriet is suspicious now, or shouldn't anyway. Well, now he has the extra suspicion of her knowing only you... I uh, <laughs> guess. I don't know. It's Again, I don't know. But And she's now married to his best friend, so he's like... Right, I guess like you want to just look into it to be safe. I get it. So, anyway, he sends these pictures out to these people, and they all confirm that Harriet was married to these men. Yes. So that is when Tony kind of gets the light bulb, like, oh, fuck, Charlie's in danger. I have to warn him. So he he leaves to go try and and warn Charlie because he tries to call him, but he can't get through because there's a storm coming. So he's like, I'm going to go charter a plane, a private plane and get down there immediately. And as he's leaving, Alan Arkin has one more little morsel. (laughs) He barges out of his office and he's like, Hey, Paisan, what? You screw up one more time, I'm going to kick your spaghetti bending buck back to Milan. And, and Tony's like, not now. And he's like, was that okay? He's like, yeah, but it's Paisan. <laughs> As an Italian, I was offended by Paisan. <laughs> Paisan. So while this is all going on, Charlie and Harriet have arrived at the hotel. They're checking in and Harriet's like, oh, I have a headache. Uh, where can I get like some Tylenol? And the guy shows her 
But she, she, she looks at Charlie and goes, you don't you go anywhere. And Charlie's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll be right here. <laughs> um, it's like, hmm, that's a little, why is she being so weird? But then they're at dinner and like Charlie gets up to go to the bathroom at one point and Harriet like creepily like follows him with her eyes and like she she's giving very like murdery looks <laughs> yeah like spoiler alert she's not a murderer but she's giving very murdery looks <laughs> yeah and she's like following him to make sure like he's actually going to the bathroom it's very creepy by the way she looks great in this red dress oh yeah she's wearing like this uh like kimono dress with these red gloves but to be fair, if my murderer name was Mrs. X, if I killed my many husbands on my honeymoon, I would probably wear like a sleek red dress when I did it. <laughs> because that to me is like just as a little cherry on top. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. A little cherry, like the red dress. It, it makes it so blood won't. Sh- oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's just a pattern on the dress, you know. But anyway, so they're at dinner. And they're, you know, having a a lovely time. And Charlie gets a call from Tony because he finally was able to get him on the phone uh, because he took a private plane piloted by Stephen Wright, by the way. (laughs) Yep. And uh, he was a a pretty uh, well-known comedian known for his deadpan voice and deadpan humor yeah and they they have a, a a back and forth here that didn't really it's supposed to be funny but it's not it, it kind of fell flat a little bit it was kind of like a basic bit but the most important thing that happens is he gets tony from point a to point b he's in a phone booth right outside of town and he is able to call charlie and tell him that harriet is mrs x and right as Charlie's asking, like, well, what do I do now? The, f- the line goes dead because, again, a storm's a coming. So Charlie's freaking out. Harriet is also kind of freaking out because she's like, what was that phone call about, Charlie? Like, what the fuck? And so, she sees that Charlie's kind of freaking out. There's like a, a mater D in this dining hall. And he does like a little bit with the newlywed couples in the room and he's like oh well we have a tradition here where the newlywed couples get let out in the honeymoon chair and like the whole like crowded dining room is like clapping along and cheering as the fucking waiters bring out this big like love seat that they like throw Harriet and Charlie in and they carry them off to the fucking room and yeah. I'm like oh my god Scott if this happened to us on our honeymoon i would be mortified and i would kill you <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god it was cr- it was horrible so they get dropped off in their room and harry drags him in the room and it's like charlie i have to tell you something oh and there is an axe in a piece of wood by the fireplace oh yes because there's a fireplace there's an, there's an axe, so we're we're in trouble <laughs> because I don't know if you realize, but the the movie is called So I Married an Axe Murderer, so there's there's got to be an axe somewhere. So Harry goes, Charlie, I have to tell you something. I've been married before, and Charlie's like, I already knew that, Harriet. 
and he immediately picks up the axe and he holds her at bay he's like get away from me (laughs) and she's like charlie what are you doing and he backs her up into the closet and locks her ass in there and she's like charlie please don't leave (laughs) because she thinks that he's gonna leave her so she's locked in the closet and charlie goes to try and call the police or something and the phone's still dead But then as he's trying to use the phone, he notices a note lying on the desk. What does this note say, you may ask? Why, he picks it up and he reads it. Dear Harriet, I can't deal with the commitment. It's too hard. I'm leaving you. Love, Charlie. (laughs) And he's like, I didn't write this. And as he's reading the note, slowly but surely, there is a figure standing behind him with the axe sneakity sneaking up behind him the axe goes up in the air and flies down and Charlie just dodges out of the way and he's like what the fuck and you see the person with the axe and it's Rose (laughs) yes our perfect use of our f-bomb here oh yeah because I I think this movie is pg-13 yeah so they got a they got their one fuck in there I think if it's anything more than one it's an r yeah I think so I think that's the problem that Hamilton had when they were putting it on Disney Plus because I think they curse a couple times in there. I think they say fuck a couple times, but they can only use one. So damn you, damn you censorship. But um, yeah. So it has been revealed now that Rose is the killer, and we get her typical killer reveal speech. She goes, you took her away from me, Charlie. Like all the rest, I killed those boys because they tried to take my sister away from me. And now I'm going to kill you. Ha 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 And Harriet is also hearing all of this because she's in the closet. So Harriet tells Charlie to just run. So he jumps out the window onto the roof of the fucking place. And Rose chases after him. Leading to a... Her swinging at him a bunch of times. Yeah, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a cat and mouse game that ensues. So Tony, now from the airport, has to get to the hotel. So he tries to commandeer a car. Which is funny also because in the beginning when he was talking to the captain about like how he doesn't like his job and it's not exciting enough, he says, like, I've never even commandeered a vehicle. <laughs> and Alan Arkin's like, oh, that does sound like fun. <laughs> So now he finally gets his chance to commandeer a vehicle and hijinks ensue. Yeah, he goes, I need to commandeer your vehicle. And the guy goes, no. He goes, what do you mean no? I I need to commandeer your vehicle. He goes, no. (laughs) He He ends up getting this guy to drive him to the hotel. And then when he gets there, he's like, oh, would you mind waiting for me? I might have to apprehend somebody. And he just drives away. (laughs) It's like, ah, fuck. (laughs) Okay. So finally he gets up to the the honeymoon suite. He tries to kick in the door. Fails. Uh, Finally he gets through the door after a couple of attempts. And uh, Harriet is screaming, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And he breaks uh, Harriet out of the closet and handcuffs her. Yeah. And she's trying to tell him, like... Charlie's on the roof. Charlie's on the roof, which, I mean, he's not there. So, like, where do you think he is? Like, he's not with her. So she's telling you he's on the roof. If she killed him, why would she tell you he's on the roof? (laughs) But anyway, and then, like, he handcuffs her and, like, ties her to a chair. And 
above them, you can hear Rose hacking at the roof, trying to kill Charlie and Charlie screaming. You can hear all of that from the room that they're in. And instead of like being a genius and being like, oh, something must be going on on the roof. Tony's like oblivious to that and just like with a cigarette like being fucking like badass cop interrogating uh, Harriet and it's like what are you doing meanwhile Rose is chasing Charlie on the roof with this axe throwing fucking axe at him at one point and he falls and like gets a nice nut shot in there we get some physical gags Uh, at one point he's hanging off the fucking side of the roof and uh, Rose steps on his hand and then continuously, like, hacks at his hands trying to get yeah. him. And he keeps moving his arm and, like, it's a whole fucking shtick. Great, great finger strength but shown by Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Like, I feel in movies when that kind of stuff happens, because obviously that happens a lot in movies where people are just hanging off the sides of things, yeah. like either a house or a cliff or whatever. Like, the people just happen to magically have incredible finger and arm strength that they can hang off by one arm and just, like, chill there forever. Yeah. Movie magic, I guess. But it, It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It happens in video games, too. Uh, <laughs> like, you could literally hang there. You could walk away from the game and the guy, character hangs there forever. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Tony eventually takes Harriet out in handcuffs to arrest her and take her down to the station Meanwhile, they still he still has no idea where Charlie is. And then Harriet calls out to Charlie, and Charlie sticks his head over and screams out to Harriet, like, hi, I'm here, I'm okay. And just as he's doing that, Rose sneaks up behind him, and they kind of have, like, a little final showdown. And they're, like, fighting over the axe. And eventually... Yeah, we get another kick to the nuts. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Charlie tries to kick Rose in the vagina. And uh, Rose doesn't react to it, even though... Which is bullshit, because, yeah, like, if you kick someone in the business, whether there's a dick there or not, it's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. So finally, they're scuffling, uh, and Rose goes off the side, and Charlie's holding on to her. I like that he saved her. You know, I like that she didn't just fall off the roof, and, like, she dies, and, the, you know, the bad guy is... Defeated. Defeated. I like that despite the fact that this crazy woman tried to kill him, she he knows enough to realize that, like, she's a person. She's clearly mentally ill. And plus, you know, she's my wife's sister. I'm not going to just let her die. So he saves her life. And then Tony is able to come up and catch her through a window and save her and he does take her to jail because she is a murderer unlike Harriet three time murderer yes we love a good serial killer story so the story ends with Charlie kind of summing up the ending with a poem because that's that's our Charlie so in this ending poem Charlie explains that Rose was sent to jail and is getting treatment um, and that Harriet was acting so weird during the honeymoon because she was so scared that Charlie was going to leave her. Now, during this movie, there are a lot of points where she acts weird. And it's meant to kind of 
tease the audience and like, is she really a murderer or is she not? What the fuck? And especially during the honeymoon stuff. But if you think about it, if you really think about it, this woman, this poor woman has been married three times and three times her husbands have left her because with everyone, Rose just left the same note for her saying, oh, I, I can't commit to you. I'm leaving you by. So she's just like, I can't even imagine being in that situation and then entering into yet another relationship and getting married again. But I mean, it was made clear throughout the movie, like she was very hesitant to get married because she didn't want Charlie to leave. So it's kind of sad when you think about it that way. Yeah. But, um, you know, her and Charlie are still together. They're still very much married and in love. So happy ending, <laughs> despite three innocent men being murdered by a psychotic woman. Happy ending. <laughs> and now the whole uh, poetry room finding out during this beef poem about, you know, my sister's yeah. murderer. Why you put my business in the street, Charlie? <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> but yeah, the movie ends. And we get some end credits over yet another playing of There She Goes, again, again, again. Yes, this is the fourth time this is played. Yeah, like the third or fourth time. So it's it's clearly we like that song. And now it's like an earwig stuck in our brains. So mm-hmm. that was So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yes, it was. That was that movie. So... Before we get to our final thoughts, I thought it would be nice to use that song in a very important fashion to lead us into the cast could have been. she goes again i know we already played that in this episode but we had to listen to it multiple times so why shouldn't you (laughs) deal with it so first and foremost uh i want to talk about the cast could have been for harriet it kind of comes with a bit of a an interesting fact so sharon stone was initially set to play harriet interesting okay however she ultimately refused to do the part because she wanted to play the role of Harriet as well as the role of Rose. I'm guessing because she figured Mike Myers was doing dual roles, so why can't I? Um, But the exec said no, so she refused to do it. And then they hired Nancy Travis. And also, I think uh, Kim Basinger was also asked to do the role and turned it down. Okay. So... Makes sense. Yeah. I actually really like Nancy Travis. I think she brings... Yeah, she she brings a nice little... I think Sharon Stone would have been too much. Yeah, like she brings a realism to it. Like I can believe that Nancy Travis would be with Mike Myers in this movie. Yeah. If I saw Sharon Stone running around with like goofy looking Mike Myers, I would be like, that looks kind of weird. It's like a very... It would be like a very Drew Barrymore, Adam Sandler situation. Yeah, that's true. But um, when we talk about Charlie, there are uh, a few other actors that were considered for the role. Okay. A few other comedic actors. Uh, some comedic people, okay. Including Chevy Chase, 
Okay. Which would have been interesting, I think. I mean, at that time, Chevy Chase was still funny, I think. <laughs> and not like a curmudgeonly old man that yeah. has problems with everybody. Um, we have Martin Short. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Albert Brooks, who I didn't know by the name, but I had to look it up. He played Marlin in Finding Nemo. Oh. That's, that's what I recognize the most from him. And the last one being the most weird, um, Woody Allen was in talks for this role. Yay. <laughs> we love Woody Allen, so, right? So this script, must no. have, this script must have been around a little bit then. It was. It was. Robbie Fox, I think, wrote it years before and was shopping it around. And then eventually when it got to Mike Myers, it was actually going through and then he wanted to rewrite it. So I think it was being shopped around for a while. Clearly, because Woody Allen was being considered. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we won't get into that. Yeah, no, let's let's not. Woody Allen is a fucking bastard. Okay, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Agreed. Thank so- God, because if obviously if this movie existed with Woody Allen, I wouldn't want to watch it, and I liked this movie. So, um, yeah, I think. Mike Myers was perfectly cast. I'm glad that the script was rewritten a bit to more cater to his style of comedy. Yeah. And I think the chemistry was good between them. And I think even in a situation with a cheesy script, if you have a romantic comedy with two leads that have a decent amount of chemistry and can make you believe in the couple and can make you believe in the relationship and root for it then you're halfway there yeah it automatically elevates the movie a bit so that was cast could have been's we're gonna just play this as many times as we can and torture you all because we are also being tortured so now on to final thoughts scott what did you rate this movie? So, I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. What a surprise. We have yet again agreed on a movie. Ah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Our fans are going to start getting bored with this. They like it when we argue, Scott. <laughs> they want our relationship to break apart. <laughs> they want to break us up. <laughs> but, um, yes, I also gave it a 3.5. I thought you would give it less because, like... Maybe it wasn't as funny as I thought it was. Because I was laughing out loud quite a few times. And I, I heard you laugh a little bit, but not as much as I was. I wasn't laughing out loud, but I giggled and I, I laughed at some of the moments. And it was fun just making fun of the movie. Like, I enjoyed just literally making fun of it with you. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I enjoyed the humor of it. Uh, the actors, I thought, did a decent, uh, decent job all around. Yeah, well, especially because for them it was a little bit of a a trek getting there. I mean, Mike Myers had to deal with Robbie Fox being like, you know, giving him shit about a script, and then Nancy Travis. I didn't even mention this when we talked when we were talking about the movie, but she played a butcher, obviously, and she was actually like, you know, flailing knives around and shit in this movie. So there was a bit of an incident. <laughs> Um, at one point during the deli scene with her and Mike Myers, uh, Nancy Travis was distracted and cut off 
<laughs> tip of her middle finger. <laughs> and it was funny because apparently during the shoot, she was like chopping vegetables and she cut off the tip of her finger and she started screaming, cut, cut, cut. And the director was like, what the fuck are you screaming cut for? That's my job. Like she was, He got like mad at her like, what are you doing? And she's like, uh, I cut my finger. <laughs> but uh, she had to go to the doctor and have him sew it back on. But... <laughs> I'm like, damn, you, I, you know, if you're, if you're losing body parts for your art, that's, that's real fucking artistry there. <laughs> we, we don't advise the losing of body parts for your art. We do not advise that. <laughs> I mean, Van Gogh did it, right? We, yes. We, was it Van Gogh? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> I mean, Van Gogh did it. It was fine. I, I still would advise against that. Please <laughs> do not lose body parts for your art. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I really like this movie. Is it the funniest movie I've ever seen? No, but it's, it's definitely it, got a lot of charm to it. And it's I think a goofy it's, fun time. Yeah, I think it's worth a watch for sure. And I think not enough people know about it. So we are performing a public service here on Shoot the Flick today. <laughs> yep, we uh, definitely had a good time. So we watched I Married an Ex-Murderer. And I'm beat poetry. You, yeah. Okay, without the beat, it just sounds like you're doing a William Shatner impression. It's basically, <laughs> There's something on the wing. Something out there. Rocket man. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so um, next week, Scott will be introducing me to a more well-known movie, a movie that once you guys find out I haven't watched this, you're all going to want me murdered. And that's okay. This may <laughs> rival when she hadn't seen Goodfellas. I think this is probably worse. I, I don't know. That's gonna, that would be a fun argument to have. We may have to do a poll on that. Oh, no. All right. Well, until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for another crazy movie adventure. There she goes, there she goes again.